So I think there's there's a lot of kind of benefits that come back to the company um, that are material. Yeah, it's not just about giving money. It's actually that partnership bringing benefit not only to the development program, the charity, the NGO program, but also back into the business. And I think that's that's great yeah, because it then links it and, and makes it far more sustainable. Hi there and welcome to another episode of the Future Ready Podcast where we explore how to build future-ready organizations in a new never normal. My name is Arne Kötting, founder of Cozin and your host. So far in our sustainability season, we have talked about how successful sustainability transformations require widespread collaboration between each department of a business. In today's episode, we invite you to zoom out and take this thinking even further. We will explore the challenges and opportunities of collaborating with organizations across different sectors to tackle sustainability challenges together. So why are these partnerships so important? Well, we must not forget that our social, economic and ecological systems are constantly interacting and affecting each other. So if it takes several actors to perpetuate destructive practices, we must also join forces to shift the world onto a sustainable path. This is precisely the insight that the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals call on stakeholders to act upon. The famous SDGC Innovative Sustainable Practices as motivators for socio-economic development and vice versa. For future-ready companies, this translates into countless opportunities to develop their workforce and to ensure the relevance of their business for decades to come. But such holistic view of sustainable growth require changes to entire systems, mindsets and entire value chains. And this is where the power of collaboration across sectors come in. Though businesses, non-profits and governmental organizations differ in their core missions, many still find common grounds on reaching for the SDGs. But as beneficial as these partnerships can be, they also come with many pitfalls. How can companies find the right partner for their sustainability projects? How can these partners align on their objectives? And how should resources and tasks be split amongst them? Our guest today is someone who does not see these questions as roadblocks. Simon Brown is Deputy Technical Director for Economic Empowerment at Sightsavers, an international organization that works with partners to treat and prevent avoidable blindness. With his extensive experience working for both businesses and NGOs, Simon has been building intersector partnerships for many decades. He's the perfect person to bring us insights from both sides and to introduce a people-centered view of sustainability to this season. Simon, welcome to the Future Ready Podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, Simon, tell us um, a little bit more about who you are and what you do. I've been, I've been with Science Savers for four years. A, a lot of time before that, working with the private sector or in the private sector, and then in the charitable sector for the last, gosh, seventeen years. Wow! How long have you been working in the in the private sector before you moved into the NGO um, side? Yeah, it's been a long time. I I worked twenty years wow. mainly in IT for Barclays Bank and for a company called Procter Gamble mm -hmm. in various parts of the world. 
Mm -hmm. So obviously, it's a quite logical step to move from Procter and Gamble to the NGO world. What <laughs> what was the point where you did this change? Why why did you do this? It was actually a bit in between. I ran my own business in France for a number of years, a guest out in the in the French Pyrenees. Um, so so it, so it was a kind of transition towards working in the charitable sector, um, and it was just a, a kind of ambition. Um, and I'd, and I'd felt after 20 years of, of working in IT and 10 years, more than 10 years with Procter & Gamble, it was just a time to, to make a change. Yeah. 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 Great. Simon, tell us a little bit more about Sightsaver, the company you are currently working for. Sure. So Sightsaver is a quite old, quite well-known charity, UK-based charity, mainly known for its work in avoidable blindness, mm -hmm. um, which is things like uh, what we call refractive error glasses, like I, like I wear glasses, or it can be cataract operations or, or various other kind of interventions that avoid people be unnecessarily blind. But also since the 1950s, when it was set up, it had a kind of dual purpose of looking at social, political, economic empowerment of people with disabilities, not just people with what we call visual impairment, but, but any kind of disability. Works in about 30 countries in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the work. It's, it's, a, it's a big charity, well-known charity which does terrific work both in that area of avoidable blindness and in general empowerment of people with disabilities. Interesting. So you also told me that you just came from a three-month placement in Nigeria. So a lot of traveling related to your and an on-site presence um, related to your job. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the nature of the job. I'm a, I'm a technical lead. Um, so a lot of that work involves a lot of kind of technical advice to country teams, whether that be in agriculture or or employment or, or people starting their own businesses. And so, yeah, it's a part of the job. Um, and uh, it's where I think I, I come alive, really, in country mm -hmm. offices. Yeah. Yeah. So your organization does a lot around kind of um, combating social inequalities. What is the importance of the sustainability um, topic for your organization and the work that you're doing on the ground? Sustainability, I think, is quite a broad uh, concept. Yeah, there, There's the area of kind of private sector mm. sustainability, but also there's the, the area of, of impact sustainability. And I think I'll take the second one first. All of our work is based around system strengthening. Yeah, there are health systems, there are labor market systems in, in all countries, there are education systems in countries. And it's how you strengthen those education systems to be more inclusive, to be more effective in terms of disability, rather than what I call ghosting or paralleling the system. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big area of kind of sustainability. If you strengthen the system, then that that benefit continues after a particular project is finished. And then in that area of kind of business sustainability, I think we'll get more into that, but, but mm -hmm. there's a very clear link, an increasing link between 
the way that companies begin to to see their work in those areas of employment, of of strengthening health systems mm-hmm. and so on, that are linked back to their own business sustainability. And I think that's that's an exciting time to be doing this kind of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super interesting. Now, on that note, it's obviously often said, I mean, it's, it's this key element of the SDGs that no single institution, um, so neither private sector, nor NGOs, nor international organizations are able to tackle the kind of challenges that we as humanity are facing. So, you know, climate crisis, social inequalities, and all that. Okay, that goes to say that this notion of collaboration across silos and Building partnerships is more relevant than ever before. But Simon, from your many years of experience working on the NGO side, where are we in reality on the ability to collaborate across sectors? You're right. No, no single institution's gonna gonna solve those big problems. Um, and I think the, the key platform or framework that that holds all that together is the Sustainable Development Goals. Mm. Yeah, these were set several years ago they'll still run until 2030 um and it's quite clear if we look at that around ending poverty or zero hunger or gender equality or sustainable access to water all those things decent work they're not going to happen if only one sector of a society is focused on them and so those partnerships become really an imperative and that's why that SDG 17 exists, yeah, the cross-sector partnerships that are going to be necessary in order to deliver the other 16 sustainable development goals. And are there any mindset barriers or prejudice between the private sector and NGOs that prevents effective collaboration? Or are these different sides now opening up to each other and indeed appreciating each other differences in these collaborations? I think increasingly so. Mm-hmm. I, uh, but it's still, I, I would say, a journey. And we're still maybe at the beginning of that journey. There's a long way to go yet. And we will not deliver those sustainable development goals or even make significant progress towards them without more of that confidence around building those partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, But it is still, it is still early. There's a lot of kind of, institutional encouragement. We see that through institutions like USAID or the German Development Agency, GIZ, that are really encouraging those public-private partnerships. Mm. And that's really great because that also then often comes with some some contribution, some financial contribution to encourage those partnerships to happen. But there's a lot more to do. Yeah. Mm. And so you mentioned the need for partnerships, but also some of the challenges and that there is a long way to go. So what's currently preventing, you know, the different sides to engage uh, in partnerships? I think there's a history, but there's also what I would call a discomfort zone. Yeah, Charitable organizations historically have, have have been funded, have been financed by institutions, yeah, by mm. by government institutions, by multilateral institutions, through mechanisms what we call overseas development assistance, mm. sometimes through public donations, sometimes through private sector philanthropic gifts. But that's a very what I would call an entry level kind of partnership. Um, and it's a lot easier sometimes to accept money than perhaps really get into a, a, a development partnership with with a private sector organization. And I think there's that there's that shifting into that discomfort zone. 
there's a clear, from my experience, a clear need to, to build trust. And that means investing time and, and significant time in building that trust. And I think this is something that but is perhaps preventing some of those those private sector partnerships with NGOs that we're not necessarily willing to put in the effort to build the partnership, and that may take a couple of years each, each time. Yeah, so that, I think that's that's one of the the key things. And as I say, there's there's certain sectors that are well business sectors that will always be problematic for 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 many NGOs. But there's but equally there's an awful lot of of business sectors that we should be absolutely positive on partnering with. What is your experience in terms of the government body's willingness to engage in private sector? Um, or NGO partnerships? It's surprising how encouraging governments are. Mm -hmm. The governments, again, if we're strengthening a system, if we're trying to build a parallel system that works outside of the education structures or the health structures or the labor market systems, then, of course, governments are not going to be that keen. But if we're really looking to how do we mobilize the resources, and it's not just financial resources, it's, mm -hmm. it's all the human resources, and through those partnerships to really strengthen the system and to include the government within those programs. And I think that's something I've learned a lot more recently um, with uh, the government in Kenya, who have been very much part of a program that we work with Diageo, with, with Coca-Cola, um, on, st on strengthening kind of supply chains and distribution chains, but also involving government in understanding where do policies need to be strengthened to make the labor market or the market system more efficient or more inclusive. Yeah? So I think governments are surprisingly positive. Perhaps it shouldn't be surprising yeah, that they are very positive so long as they're involved and that we're not creating a, a parallel system. And you just mentioned the investment that's needed to set up uh, thriving, um, sustainable partnerships. Now, beyond the moral justification, what is the, you know, practical added value of partnerships for the corporate sector? In my experience, I think there's a, there's a number. I mean, there's, there's clearly reputational gain. The more that the company investing in its own community or, or in mm -hmm. other communities where it has an influence, the greater the reputational benefit that it, that it comes back to the company, yeah. whether that be through government or whether that be through consumers or, or through shareholders and stakeholders. But I think it's much more than that. Increasingly, companies are seeing these partnerships as critical to their sustainability, their business sustainability strategies. Um, and whether that be in my area around kind of more diverse workforces or investing in more sustainable communities, leveraging their value chains, building their value chains through more inclusive development, then it comes back with an actual kind of top line, bottom line benefit as as well as that reputational gain. And we see that also in those companies that invest their talents, their human talents in, mm -hmm. in those partnerships, that there is a greater uh, kind of development of their own workforce. And it's quite interesting that the ILO did a survey in 2021, post-COVID, in my, in my area of work around disability, more more disability inclusive workforces, and found that 73% of staff were expecting more diversity, more inclusion. Now that will only happen through 
through partnerships yeah, and building confidence in, in, around disability or around gender um, or around other kind of groups that, that build more diverse workforces. So I think there's there's a lot of kind of benefits that come back to the company that are material. Yeah, It's not just about giving money. It's actually oh, that partnership bringing benefit not only to the development program, the charity, the NGO program, but also back into the business. And I think that's that's great yeah, because it then links it and, and makes it far more sustainable. So tell us a little bit more about the real example of partnerships that you have developed in your career across sectors. Give us a glance into what you do there. Sure. I was, I was thinking about that this, this morning a little bit. I was looking back through a, an old phone and I found back the uh, original kind of uh, whiteboard uh, hmm. mapping of, of, this, of the partnership we had with Syngenta yeah, that, you, that you and I were both, both yes. part of. Um, and, and, and the photo I had goes all the way back to, to 2014. Mm. And that partnership, of course, went on for before that. Yeah, the, the, the conversations probably started around 2012, 2013. There was that period of kind of building that trust between the two organizations, how that then linked into that, that, that kind of agricultural scoping visit to, to Bangladesh and how that then led into a, a really terrific program. Mm. And I think this is one of the, 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 I think, a really great example for other companies not to copy, but to at least uh, to aspire to, where a big agribusiness is investing not only financially in a partnership, but also through through its human talent. Yeah? And that regular investment of, of groups of, of people from within the business to come and work in the program and further develop the program, um, I think was was a, a really great example. Absolutely. Um, and how that, that, how that went on now until really, well, until now, really, yeah, that mm -hmm. it was a kind of 10-year um, partnership or 10-year relationship that, that, that led to something really spectacular in terms of uh, household income for 7,000 households in, in rural Bangladesh. Yeah, I think to build on that, because as you mentioned, we know each other quite a long time when we designed and set up this program together with many other colleagues. But I always thought that the beauty of that program, which we did in the agronomy sector, was really that the company not only invested money, but primarily they invested their own people and their own resources into the program. Just for the listeners, so we've been um, involving like approximately 75, if I remember rightly, you know, future talents of that organization to to live and work and engage with local smallholder farmers in very, very remote areas in Bangladesh. And so, and as you said, this energy and skill and experiences and almost like the whole purpose of the company was brought to life through this experience, how this was played back into the organization and energized the organization through effective communication, obviously, internally, but also externally, was really eye-opening for me. Yeah. And I think also, Arna, that, that going back to that, that earlier question around government, mm. we also very much involved the, the government agronomic services yeah the, the extension services so they're part of the program we're not replacing them we're strengthening that that service that they're delivering to to farming communities mm. so so it's again that kind of three-way partnership between government a brilliant company and and then a charity yeah so so i think this is this is a great example And that's led on to i think my own kind of experiences but then more confidence to build other Uh, private sector partnerships. Yeah, the the one we have now with Diageo in Kenya, 
I think is a, is a great kind of emulation of what we did in Bangladesh. Again, it's working with farmers and, and linking farmers into Diageo's uh, sorghum supply chain, the grain called sorghum, which is a very important ingredient into the beer manufacturing in, in, mm. in Diageo. And how that then learns from that earlier experience from Bangladesh and with the work also then with the foundation of Syngenta, the, the Syngenta Foundation for Sustainable Agriculture, and how we then build that up again in Kenya benefiting again thousands and thousands of farmers. But also uh, the, the work we do with Coca-Cola in Kenya and how that then begins to be replicated across other territories or other markets in, in Africa of looking at women with disabilities within the retail network. So it's a different part of a value chain. And I think the, and I think the value chains here are really important, yeah? how you are able to then generate significant benefit, not only for the company, but also huge opportunity for development impact, um, either first mile in farming or last mile in retail, mm-hmm. uh, I think is, is great. So I think we begin, or at least I, I've had fantastic experiences in building those partnerships and then living those partnerships. Um, and that they are, shared what i would call shared value partnerships yeah that that we have that shared kind of belief that shared aspiration and then we work together to make it happen and again diageo investing their human talents as well as Mm -hmm. their value chain taking it then to the u.s government to the usaid mechanism to to attract institutional funding because they want to see these things happen so i think it's it's these things are great examples of what is possible Mm, so Benchik, the examples you just mentioned with Coca-Cola, Diageo and, and Syngenta, those mm. examples were all the nature of the programs were all very, very close to the core business of those mm-hmm. organizations. So how important do you think is it to shape programs that are really close to like the company's strategy, the company's business, or in other words... If you are in a sector, like I say, you know, service sector or something where maybe the link to a program is not so clearly and easy to do, is it then a no-go? No, I, of course, you, it, it, it's an imperative that you, mm. for me, to, if you're looking at sustainability programming, to then the, the program needs to be linked to the nature of the core business. Um, otherwise, it's going to just be a philanthropic gift. Now, there's nothing wrong with philanthropy. Sometimes that's the most sensible thing to do. Some of our work, for example, in cataract operations or in looking into what we call neglected tropical diseases and treating those diseases, that that's money intensive. Yeah, mm. and, and the limitation is money, and and sometimes it can make huge sense then for for a company to have a more philanthropic relationship with a with an organization like Sightsavers. But if we're looking at things around employment and economic development, then it has to be linked back into the core of the company. Now, you you talked around the service sector. We have a great relationship with um, some service sector companies, um, mm-hmm. Safaricom, which is a part of uh, Vodacom um, and is the localization of Vodacom in Kenya. Um, great relationship that looking at their core business and their recognition that disability is fundamental to their business growth, both in terms of innovations, but also in terms of recognizing their their customer base and the numbers of people with disabilities that that are potential customers. Um, And working with them around then building a much more diverse workforce because they know it's going to build their business in the end. 
Same with Access Bank, a huge Africa-wide corporation that's headquartered in Nigeria. Um, but, but then looking at not only more inclusive workforces, but then looking at their marketplace um, and understanding how their products could also be adapted to be to be more accessible to people with disabilities. Looking at their communities and their, and the investments they make in, in in their own communities, and and again them recognizing that disability is a huge part of their communities in which they operate. So it's very important to link it to the business, but it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a a kind of value chain or, or a kind of companies that that we talked around Syngenta, Coca Cola, Diageo. It can also be very much from within the service sector. Okay, with all these partnership experiences that you had over your career. What do you think are the key success factors or challenges in building these long-term um, sustainable um, partnerships? Yeah, I, I think within that, we've really got to think around what we talked around before, being willing to invest the time to do your mm. homework, to really understand where is the where is the opportunity What are the the values that we that we are sharing and that we want to build on in order to create to co-create a program? And I think that it's that co-creation. If I come with a solution and say I want you to fund it, it's a very different kind of conversation to say I'm really interested to work with you on building and co-developing a program that that potentially has massive impact and massive benefit back not only to the the work of the charity but also to the business of the company. So taking the time, I think that's the key. As, As we talked earlier, it was probably two years before mm -hmm. that 2014 mm -hmm. scoping visit to Bangladesh that we'd started the conversations between Syngenta and, and then the charity I worked with, VSO. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's kind of being willing to take that time to build that trust, to really co-create to decide together, to act together, and to govern together. And so we build this kind of peer relationship rather than one that is a funder um, and the other a recipient of funds. And I think this is the key, I think, to establishing partnerships, being willing just literally to sit down and have that conversation. It's interesting. And, and when you were talking about this, it reminded me about, you know, a, a little, you know, a little experience or a little story that we had when we started that working with VSO back then, you, the organization you just mentioned. We were like, we were really impressed how seriously, you know, you and, and, and this organization took it, the, the selection of the partner so that you ran in the background a, a proper due diligence of the company where you assessed like how mature, how serious is the organization um, with this? How um, is there a value kind of alignment? Is there a business, the same business understanding and all that? So For us, it was really surprising, and and maybe we were also kind of, kind of um, you know connected with our own prejudice in this regards. But we were really impressed by how much effort also it was taken on the NGO side to really select the right partner. Because I, I guess there's also a big kind of reputational risk always when you do work with private sector. I mean, there is. Yeah, and we talked about that a little bit earlier, right? There's certain sectors, there's certain industries, mm. perhaps certain companies that perhaps aren't the right fit for certain charities. Um, and, and, and we've got to respect that. And you can only get to that by doing the homework, which includes then the due diligence on the potential partnering company, as we would expect in return, yeah, that we that, that a company would, I'm sure most companies would do significant due diligence on, on organizations like Sightsavers to understand, is that the right organization for us? 
So, yeah, I think it's, do, again, doing the homework and doing and making sure that you really have invested the time that's needed to be sure it's the right partnership. Simon, what is the tendency or trend that you observe talking to many of your private sector partners? Is the trend to go towards fewer and deeper relationships with NGO partners that are close to the business and really deliver on business challenges or supply chain challenges? Or is it still that companies have several different NGOs which uh, which they put money in? I'm seeing the first. I'm seeing and a, and a, and a significant shift to that first. That, that companies are increasingly looking at impact and not just kind of breadth of, 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 of philanthropic gifts uh, or investments in, in, in many, many different partnerships. And that makes sense. Yeah. That, and it's very consistent with how most private sector companies do work, right? That, that, that there is uh, a certain number of companies or, or suppliers or distributors that a company will work with. And the same should happen then with the, the kind of more strategic partnerships with with the NGOs, with the NGO or the charitable sector, looking at impact much, much more, and increasingly looking at very specific groups of people. A continued focus on on women, which is great because it's very much linked to the the SDGs, but also around youth, not just in Africa, but particularly so in Africa and that demographic kind of. Um, dividend that there's, that's across Africa of young people, um, but also disability and how that now becomes the kind of third focus area for, for, for many companies. And if I look at those partnerships, for example, with Diageo or with Coca-Cola or with Unilever or with Access Bank, they are looking at a smaller number of partnerships that have the greater potential for impact, not only in one market, but uh, perhaps across their whole footprint in, in Africa. Mm, okay. When we had our look on your website, um, there are different kind of partnership categories or partnership directions that you do with private sector organizations. You mentioned some of those like pure philanthropic, philanthropic donation things towards fully fleshed, co-created, co-designed, emergent experiences on the ground, some of those, even with the involvement of the organization's employees. Um, so huge bandwidth of that. Is that rightly observed? Definitely. And again, we talked a little bit around that in one of the earlier questions. I think there is that a need for that breadth because mm -hmm. sometimes a philanthropic gift is exactly the right kind of partnership. As I said, around cataract operations or, or treating neglected tropical diseases, they are money intensive and the constraint is the money. Yeah? The greater the income, the, the greater the work that can be done on the ground. Other times, and certainly in, in my area around kind of economic development, economic empowerment of people, the partnerships are necessarily different yeah and you're looking then at companies who have a strong interest around disability um, that are willing then to invest in process change within their own organizations whether that be in supply chains or within the core of the business or in the distribution networks that create opportunity as more than gifting money because if we take those partnerships then to to the likes of USAID or other institutional investors they are far more likely to then invest their own money because of the strength of the partnership so i think yeah there's there is a breadth of, of kind of um kinds of relationships that reflect then the different constraint within different parts of charitable work 
So you're saying that the a partnership between private sector and NGOs can also make it easier to get access to yes. international organizations Very and government so. organizations. Very much so. And I think this is something that, that we will see more and more and the encouragement of institutions to form public-private partnerships and take them to them because they want to invest in them because of the benefit that they see, the sustainability that they see as a result of those kinds of partnerships and the reach that they can have. So for a new organization you work with or a new potential partner for you, like how do they know which direction, uh, which partnership approach is the right one for their business or maybe, you know, potential listeners or so? How would they know if... You know, they are the kind of organization that is most suitable for, you know, these, as you said, these entry-level partnerships like a donation or so, or like the fully-fledged programs. What are the things I, I would need to kind of consider as an organization? Yeah, as a, as a, and, and I'll take it from the end of an of a, of a NGO or a charitable organization. And again, it comes down to homework of understanding then the company. And often a lot of companies increasingly have their own foundations. Mm -hmm. Where are they investing? What kinds of, of, of challenges are they investing in? And then you will know the kinds of things they might be interested in. It's making sure, again, you do the homework to understand the interest of the company or of its foundation and how that maps to the kinds of partnerships you might want to start a conversation about. A lot of those, those foundations, those private sector foundations, are looking at areas of education, are looking at areas of uh, health systems strengthening. So that have those conversations, yeah, and that might be having the conversations around neglected tropical diseases. And we get a huge amount of, of investment from the private sector, and particularly through their foundations, to help that area of our work. Whereas those conversations around more um, co-creation partnerships that then address things like economic inclusion. Again, a charity needs to do its homework to understand, well, where is it? Where does that fit in the business sustainability objectives of a company like Coca-Cola Beverages Africa? And how you map that into then their own economic inclusion framework. So it's homework to, to make, really make sure mm. that, you're, that the proposition you're taking to the conversation is one that links to the interest the company or its foundation is already demonstrating. Yeah. And you mentioned the involvement of employees and leaders of your partner organization in these programs. And I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into that topic. Can you tell us a bit more about how you involve leaders and employees? From your past and current experience, how important and impactful is it to involve the workforce and both for them or the participants on a personal level and for getting them to become ambassadors for the cause that is important to the entire organization. Sure. In any company, there are skills that, and, and, and often, often very diverse skills, but opportunities for people to use those skills to benefit charitable work or charities mm -hmm. are very limited. Mm -hmm. yeah, now we talked around that example earlier around the Syngenta and the 75 or so people who were able to volunteer into that agricultural program in Bangladesh. That was, I think, a, a huge benefit not only to the company or the individuals and how that was taken back into the company as ambassadors, but also how it was linked to the core of the program. 
And if we are able to leverage those skills to strengthen the program, then we are going to make better programs. And I think we've, we saw that in Bangladesh. We're seeing it again more recently with our partnership with Standard Chartered Bank and how the relationship goes beyond kind of youth economic empowerment to also now link in the skills of a bank and building on perhaps the work that, that I did with, with, with you and Syngenta around creating then meaningful individual or group assignments that can really strengthen the, the program. In the Syngenta Foundation, it was very much around agronomy. It was around business development. With uh, Standard Chartered Bank, it might be more access to financial services for young people with disabilities who are starting their own businesses. But it's, it's really using the skills and using those to address gaps in the program. And if we can do that, we make much, much stronger programs, as well as then sending back or delivering back people into the companies who've had a different kind of experience, but are able then to use that experience to as ambassadors to strengthen the interest of the company in that area of work. So everybody wins. We get stronger, we get stronger programs and ambassadors going back into companies to further kind of influence and the, and and as you said with Syngenta, those were future leaders and they are going to be the leaders that are then going to make future decisions around where are we going to invest our charitable money or our sustainability budgets and far better that they had that experience because they will then have a, a greater and more informed decision. Simon, in this context, I want to ask you about this big trend that organizations are facing, which is the access to talent or the war for talent, especially with Gen Z people. For attracting and retaining the best talents, how important is it to have something like these experience sharing programs within organizations? Yeah, I, I think on both ends, mm -hmm. uh, if we look at that kind of cycle or life cycle of, a, of, 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 a, of an employee's relationship with a company, Gen Z people are looking at companies who have both a social as well as an, an economic impact. Um, and that's very clear of, of, of the way that people are choosing, who am I going to work for? And, and, and particularly at the moment where often companies are struggling to attract talent, then companies are looking then to how do we build that reputation then leads into attraction. And that reputation is, is then goes back through that life cycle around the kinds of relationships that we're able to generate, the impact those partnerships have, whether it be on inclusion of people with disabilities or the empowerment of women or greater access for young people to, to, to access the skills they need to, to create a, a brighter future for themselves. That generates the reputation that attracts the best talent into companies, whether that be Syngenta or Standard Chartered Bank or Diageo or whoever. And it becomes then a very meaningful part of that business sustainability investment. Really interesting. In this season on sustainability, we have talked with a lot of corporate representatives also on the, on the topic of you know, setting up sustainability strategies, sustainability programs, ensuring alignment amongst the senior leadership team, but also in the rest of the organization. And one of the things that always came up was, of, you know, not surprisingly, was the importance of the, you know, choosing the right terminologies and really setting up the right kind of narrative that really ensures that the key players are engaged and they understand as to why this should become such a pivotal part of the strategy. Now, how important are this topic of, you know, using the, the same language 
when it's about setting up partnerships. Again, another kind of a little story from us when we set up the program back then was, I guess, one of the key success factors was really you and your background 20 years working on the private sector. So we always felt you you speak our language, you understand our business needs. And how important is that? It's really important. And I think what we're seeing is that it's a lot of kind of transfer of talent between the two sectors. Yeah? So people from the development sector moving into roles in sustainability or social responsibility positions in the private sector, but equally people from the private sector transferring across into the development sector. And it really is important yeah, that we have often a very strange kind of language in the development sector that, that doesn't really speak to the language of the company. And I think it's, it's, it's very important to, if you're having that conversation as an NGO, to use the language that's understandable by the company you really want to build a partnership with. So I think it is it is vital, but I think we're, we're seeing that, that increasing kind of transition between the two sectors of, of people and talent, and that, that makes it a lot easier, of course. But it is absolutely an imperative. The development sector, the charitable sector, learns a lot of the language and is able to explain the work that it does in ways that are understandable to the companies they are potentially wanting to partner with. Super interesting. Um, Simon, we are at the end of our conversation. Thank you so much for all these interesting insights. If our listeners would like to learn more about the great work that SightSavers does, you can find the link to their website in our podcast show notes. And if you're interested in working with Simon and SightSavers, you can find Simon's email there as well. Simon, thank you so much for this podcast. Perfect. And thank you for the opportunity. Brilliant. Hey there, and thank you for listening to this Future Ready episode. In the next episode of our sustainability season, we're switching perspectives again, this time turning to academia. Be on the outlook for this upcoming episode. Future Ready is produced by COSIM, a global communications and change agency on a mission to shape healthy and thriving businesses. Find out more at wearecosin.com. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review or forward this show to someone who you think will love it. Thank you very much and until very soon.